0: close friend of mine was asked back to his 40-year high school reunion. For months, he had saved to take he and his wife back to the place where he'd left four decades before. Closer the time came to the reunion, the more excited he became, the energy was almost, uh, you could you could feel it coming off him. He was so excited to hear the wonderful stories, how people had grown and changed in their lives and and done different things and and he was eager one night he even pulled out his old yearbooks read all the silly statements that students write to each other Uh, he wondered what uh, number 86 from his football team what had that guy gone on to do he wondered if any other people had met Jesus like he had in his life and how Christ had just transformed his life so profoundly He even tried to guess what some people might look like, what kind of jobs, families they had. Uh, The day came to leave, and I I drove he and his wife to the airport. And I said, I'll pick you guys up uh, Sunday night, and you can tell me all about your amazing time that you had. And uh, so Sunday evening arrived, and I went off to the airport, and there they were. And as they walked out of the airport, his wife was holding his hand, and their heads were down, and they looked kind of solemn. And I met them and, and greeted them and helped get their luggage in the back. And as we're driving, it kind of felt tense. It felt a little awkward. And finally I asked, so how was the reunion? And he said, Tim, it was one of the saddest experiences of my life. No way, I said, more than a little surprised. What happened? And he goes, wasn't what was what did happen, it's what didn't happen. It's been 40 years since I've seen those people, 40 years, and sadly, the vast majority hadn't changed. They had simply gained weight, changed clothes, gotten jobs, but they hadn't actually changed. What I experienced may be one of the most tragic things I could ever imagine about life. There was kind of a long silence as we drove in the car back and on the drive home, he turned to me and said, for reasons I can't fully understand, it seems as though some people choose not to change. And then he said this amazing statement. He said, I never, never want that to be said of me. Tim, life is too precious, too sacred, too important. If you ever see me go stagnant like that, I hope you give me a quick, swift kick where I need it. For Jesus' sake, I hope you'll love me enough to challenge me to keep growing. To grow. To change. To develop in our lives of following Jesus. That's what we want. We want to grow. The word Christians have used for that over the centuries is the word discipleship. If you're brand new to church, that can be a bit of a hard word to get a hold of. I'm going to call this sermon transformed the Jesus way. You know, being challenged and and motivated is awesome. But if we don't discover how we are going to grow, then soon our motivation will diminish And we will stop trying. I want you to listen to this incredible wisdom that a Christian professor by the name of Jared C. Wilson, what he learned about growing in his faith, becoming that mature disciple of Christ, really the secret to inviting Jesus to transform us over a lifetime. This is what Jared writes. He says, I grew up in the church, but it was a long time before I actually grew in my faith. The Holy Spirit is faithful, of course, and he was doing a billion things in my life every year since my conversion. But it wasn't until I awakened one fateful day to the beauty of how I was growing that my spiritual growth really took off. There's an amazing verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and he says, maybe I'd read it before and just missed it. But he goes, when I read it that day, it was like I had never seen it before. It hit me between the eyes. This is what it says. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I probably could have told you that real transformation comes by the Spirit. But I wouldn't have known that it had much to do with looking at Jesus. If you had asked me really deep down, totally honest, gut level, I would have said spiritual growth comes from getting my act together. Or so I thought. The only problem was I was terrible at getting my act together. Maybe you are too. In a truly Christian, truly biblical way of becoming more like Jesus, it's not about nose to the grindstone, law abiding, just digging in and trying really hard. It doesn't work long term. Never has, never will. On the other hand, it's definitely not a therapeutic spirituality where we live our life and we just kind of, add a little bit of Jesus in to help us along the way. A true Jesus-informed path of discipleship or transformation comes from concentrating on Jesus, looking at Jesus. What does that really mean? Well, it means knowing him personally. It means talking to him in prayer. It means reading and learning more about his life, what he's done, what he's currently doing. And being amazed at the countless ways that Jesus has changed and transformed our world. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us in 2 Corinthians 3.18 when he says, contemplate the Lord's glory. There's something about beholding the glory of Jesus. It doesn't make us not work, but it does make us work in a new way. And ultimately, we have to understand the whole thing is the power to do it comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Jared Wilson ends his paragraph with this amazing statement. He says, I'm grateful for all the churches I grew up in, but I'm more thankful still for the day I started to grow. Well, this is the journey that I want to take us on. is how through the power of the Holy Spirit, looking at jesus you and i can continue that process of being transformed to look more and more like him as time goes on in order to begin, we need to look at the place where jesus directly commands this process of becoming a disciple this process of becoming a follower of jesus begins to look more and like more like him in our words our actions what we love and what we're against comes from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me, therefore go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. I've entitled this first point, The Call. You know, last words are really important, aren't they? Your best friend's last words, before they said goodbye to you and went off on that three-month trip around the world, you will remember your best friend's last words. The last words of an elderly relative as you make your final visit to the hospital. Full of love and often extremely profound, you won't forget what they said for the rest of your life. Or in wartime, the final words of a general to his army before he leads those troops into battle final words are so important and it's no different with Jesus the final words that Matthew records Jesus saying to his disciples these have become the marching orders for the Christian church for the last 2000 years we're supposed to do this till Jesus comes back one day what is the central command it's to make disciples and there's three parts under that Make disciples is kind of the main verb of the sentence. And then there's three aspects that come under that. Going to all nations, baptizing them, and teaching them to everything that Jesus has commanded them. So I want to look at that first one. Go to all the nations. In the original Greek Matthew wrote it in, it says, the Greek words are pantata ethne. And that literally means all the people groups. Now, in the broad sweep of ethnic groups in history, generally people always lived within the geography uh, of their country or, in the last 500 years, the political boundaries of their country. But in 2020, it's a really different reality. People groups are spread all over the world. Think about our own province for a second. The largest population of East Indian Sikh people outside of India itself is in Surrey, B.C. There are significant amounts of French-speaking Haitian people living in Montreal and other parts of Quebec. Richmond, B.C. boasts a majority population originally from China and Japan. This command is most properly understood as not hopping on a plane as a missionary and going to a foreign country, although it is 100% that but it can also be a going across a city or a town and sharing the gospel with a people group. And then you think about specifically our Canadian culture. People tend to form identity groups around interests. Everyone who's an avid runner joins a running club. People want to paddle join a dragon boat racing team people that love to have a cup of coffee and grab book and discuss join a book club people love craft beer making and tasting they join those kind of things marvel superhero fans they're devoted they're rabid They talk to each other online, they have all these webs, they do all these things, and then they go to this Comic-Con convention every year in Los Angeles. People form groups around interests. And all of those are exactly what Matthew recorded there. In Greek, Pantata Ethne, all the people groups. And if you think about effective ministry, 2020, in the 21st century, often means inspiring followers of Jesus who are part of a particular interest group to bring the good news of the gospel into that. We have a lot of people that love drama in Ladysmith. Our high school has a strong drama uh, presence. There's Ladysmith little theater. They have a strong drama presence. If that is part of your life, the challenge from the Great Commission is take the gospel into that area. All those relationships you've formed. Maybe you're really into playing soccer. Maybe you do drop-in. Maybe you're on a team. Bring the gospel and your words and your deeds into that environment. Maybe you're a young mom with little children. You take advantage of the laugh program here in town or the strong start program. Bring the gospel and your words and your deeds into those environments. When we do that, we are directly obeying and fulfilling what Jesus called us to do, to make disciples. Well, the next part says Jesus commanded us to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, our church uh, was able, had the privilege of helping three people get baptized this summer. We want to show you just a little clip of their baptism this summer, so take a look. why do you want to be baptized today? Because I want to publicly confirm that I am an obedient follower of Jesus Christ and desire to be a member of this local church. It is my privilege to baptize you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My favorite cousin, Loretta, and uh, Loretta, again, a very simple question. Have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Yes. That's beautiful. And uh, Loretta, why do you want to be baptized today? To confirm my absolute obedience to the Lord and all the beautiful knowledge that we can share together. Fantastic. Well, Loretta, it is my privilege to baptize you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, our third candidate for baptism today is uh, my good friend, Doug. Uh, Doug, it's a privilege to baptize you. The same simple question I've asked others, Doug, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And Doug, why do you want to be baptized today? To renew this covenant and make things right for God. Amen. Well, Doug, then it is my privilege to baptize you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Baptism, that Holy Spirit-prompted decision when a person gets to a point when they're willing to stand up in a really public way and tell everybody that they are a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, clearly it's a process to get to that point. 2020, here on Vancouver Island, we live in the kind of culture that's post-Christian. It's jaded, it's skeptical towards the Christian faith has a bias against large organizations, generally confused about what the true message of the Christian faith is, the gospel. And as it has happened over the 10 years, 10 and a half years now that my wife and my children and I have been employed here at Ocean View Community Church, I have typically seen, it can happen in different ways, but typically this is some of the progression. That I've seen where a person goes from knowing absolutely nothing about Jesus leading up to them getting baptized. These are some of the steps. They typically encounter and experience Ocean View Church giving and serving. You know, you think about some of the things we've attempted over 10 years. We, every two years, we have our eggs benefit event. Uh, for years and years, we've done the old-fashioned games down at Ladysmith Days past couple of years, we've been making sandwiches up at uh, Lady Smith Secondary School, at the high school. Uh, faithfully, uh, Richard and others work so hard in our church garden take all the produce to laugh. Every year, we do old-time Christmas event. Uh, we do Christmas hampers through the Lady Smith Resource Center. We built kids' parks. We've done all these kind of things. And it's when someone who doesn't know Jesus at all encounters his followers doing those kind of loving actions... It's what makes them stop, take notice, begin to ask questions. What are these people doing? Why are they doing that? What's going on? I remember the very first project that God led us into, uh, helping fundraise for Brown Drive Kids Park. And uh, when we finally, the church raised over $5,000 and we were able to give that to the Kinsman Club and to the town of Ladysmith. I'll never forget Duck Patterson, the guy who was the president of the kinsman club at the time and heading up the project he just said so you're just giving us money for this park he goes what are the strings attached i said Doc, there's no strings attached i said god blesses us we bless our community he goes that's awesome he goes i've never heard of a church doing that do all churches do that and i said well it's up to them but that's what Ocean View is going to be doing. He's like, "Oh, well, that's a hell of a thing. I was like, well, I wouldn't quite say it that way, but I totally understand what you're trying to say. And then you think about someone, okay, they have those initial contacts, and then they come into contact with credible Christian believers in their life. What does it mean to be credible? It simply means people that are friendly, non-judgmental, and inclusive. They don't exclude them, they invite them in. And as those kind of friendships begin to build and grow, eventually the person wants to know what's this whole thing about. And that's when we have a chance to share the good news of the gospel. How does that happen typically? Well, it can happen in one-on-one conversations. It can happen, we've run the Alpha Course a number of times. It can happen watching one of our Ocean View Community Church services online or in person lots of different ways that happens and then the incredible work of the holy spirit and it's something no human can prompt and somebody else has to be a holy spirit thing but they come to the point of a decision yes or no to following jesus christ yes or no to making him their lord and savior and once they've done that then we prepare them to get baptized typically i get to meet with people we have a little baptismal prep thing we walk them through make them work look up a ton of bible verses really discuss pray together get them ready to do that and then that amazing day we saw a little clip of it even this summer we were allowed up to 50 and what a celebration it was to watch three people make that commitment to christ in a public way so you can see when jesus said this when he said make disciples, go to all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you can see that Jesus really was saying, here's the first part of that discipleship process, that process of being transformed to look a little more like him. And we know Jesus was a genius. And in his final words to his followers, by extension to all of us, Jesus is laying out how we are to fulfill that command to make disciples well obviously the process doesn't stop the moment you get baptized it keeps going and that's why jesus said and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you that's the third aspect often tell people when they get baptized said getting baptized isn't the finish line it's the start line Some people feel like they have to have everything absolutely, completely, totally together, every aspect of their life, then they qualify. Then they're ready to get baptized. If you wait until that happens, you'll be 99 years old before you get baptized. It's the start line, not the finish line. So as long as people have made that true heart commitment, they get baptized, they get going on this journey... Here's what I've typically been seen involved in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You know, we're all different. We're wired differently. And we learn in different ways. Some people really, really thrive learning together in a small group environment. We have connect, grow, serve groups here at Ocean View. And I get the feedback that people love it. They, they love gathering. They love the relationships. They love the learning that happens as they dig into God's word as they worship and pray together and the things we can learn from each other other people are wired they're like hey the group thing's awesome I'm all good with that but really what works for me is one-on-one when I have that really good friend I can meet with and we have a cup of coffee together and we get chatting and it becomes really real those are the moments for me that help me grow You know, for families, lots of times people will say, hey, we watched the service online actually as we ate dinner. And we discussed it and we we talked about things. Those are wonderful teaching opportunities. So those are some of the ways we can learn. But then there's the individual part in all of our lives where it's us and the Holy Spirit of God. How does he typically... Help us learn daily Bible reading, praying in solitude, silently contemplating Jesus. What that guy Jared Wilson said, the more we concentrate on Jesus, the more we think and learn about him and just contemplate him, that's a huge factor in changing us into the likeness of Jesus. A lot of people have talked about the incredible life-changing idea of simplifying your life, trying to pare down maybe a little bit of what you own little bit of the chaos in your life and they're like it's amazing it transforms you simplicity and that frees you up to bless others for a lot of people it's worship music maybe cranking it up when you're doing the dishes listening to a podcast as you go jogging whatever it is God can use those things and then one thing that happens is people have been uh, a follower of Jesus for a number of years they find that if they can help a brand new person, a newbie, begin that journey, it revitalizes, it transforms their own faith. Praying for them, building a friendship, clarifying the gospel, bringing them to church, maybe watching online together. And then that moment when they choose Christ, celebrating that and then helping them get baptized. And Jesus has a plan in mind he modeled it with his disciples he spent all that time with them. he was equipping them he's training them and he knew as hilarious as those disciples were and how often they got it wrong and did crazy stuff and said the wrong thing at the wrong time Jesus knew 11 of those guys could change the world and he equipped them to be future leaders And here at Ocean View, there's lots of opportunities to step into leadership. Maybe maybe you have a desire to be trained how to be a Connect, Grow, Serve leader. Maybe you want to be trained how to mentor someone in a one-on-one mentoring partnership. Maybe you want to head up a ministry here, be a youth sponsor, even be a board member. Jesus knew it's a progression. That's why he said teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. It's a brilliant model established by Jesus. There's one little thing I want to clarify. Sometimes we can get the idea that the Christian life is you start, and it's a 45-degree straight shot to the top. Never anything bad, no dips, no thing. That is not the Christian life. And if someone ever told you, go back and demand your money back because that is not the way it works. It is much more like that second graph. It's got its peaks, its valleys. It's incredible mountaintop moments and it's really, really hard things. But the great thing is that over a lifetime, Jesus is faithful. He's faithful to do what he commanded us to take up. And if your heart wants it, your will chooses it, and you find a a community of faith to do it with, you will grow and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Jesus sets the bar high but he gives us the Holy Spirit to do it. Well, in our second and final point, I just want to address the question of, okay, Pastor Darren, I kind of get this this journey of discipleship, this journey of transformation, but there's a question in my mind. Who does what? Like, who is responsible for growing? Who's who's responsible for this? There's a passage in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4, that really clarifies this. And this is what it says. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. You know, sometimes, attending a church, you can kind of hear people talk about growing in our Christian faith, being discipled, being transformed, and we kind of pick up the idea that it's pretty passive, you know? Maybe as long as I just kind of show up to church regularly, give something in the offering, and the The church is responsibility to give me the goods and services that I expect. It's the church's responsibility to make me a disciple. I just kind of let back, sit back, and let others do it for me. Well, that's not what the Bible says. And specifically that passage we just read Let me read that part again. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Equipping means training. Equipping means teaching you to do it yourself. Equipping does not mean doing it for you. Most of you will be familiar with the name Luciano Pavarotti one of the greatest operatic singers in history. Because of his immense talent, other rock and pop stars always wanted to sing with Pavarotti. Here's Pavarotti with Canadian rocker Brian Adams. Here's Pavarotti with Celine Dion, the Canadian pop superstar. Here's Pavarotti with Irish lead singer Bono. You know, Bono isn't Canadian, but he keeps saying in interviews, the world needs more Canada. So maybe he wants to be Canadian, who knows? when Pavarotti was interviewed about his success and rise to fame, here's what he said. He said, when I was a little boy, my father, who was a baker by trade, introduced me to the wonders of song. He said he urged me to work hard to develop my voice. He, goes, I, he says, I grew up in the town of Medino, Italy, and in our town was a famous tenor. His name was Aragopola. And he took me on as a pupil. And he said, right from that young age, I trained and trained and trained my voice. He said, once I I kind of finished school, I enrolled in teacher's college as well. And on graduation, I sat down with my father and I said, Dad, should I become a, a singer or should I become a teacher? Luciano, my father replied, if you sit on two chairs, you will fall between them, for life You must choose one chair. And looking back, Pavarotti says, I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration before I finally had my first big professional singing appearance. It took another seven years before I reached the Metropolitan Opera in New York. And now I think, whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, whatever we choose to do in life, we should give ourselves to it we need to choose one chair following jesus is a little bit like that you have to choose you have to make the commitment you have to choose one chair but it's not actually a chair for you to sit on it's actually a chair for jesus to sit on he becomes the center of our lives you know the church the staff the deacons board the pastor we're all here to equip to offer opportunities for you to grow, but ultimately, you need to choose it. The Holy Spirit comes along and honors that choice. He's the one who works on us and transforms us. So to summarize what we've been talking about this morning, number one, the choice is up to you. Number two, equipping is offered by the church. And number three, power to change is given by the Holy Spirit. I started this sermon telling you about a guy named Tim and his friend who went off to his 40-year high school reunion. Friend came back dismayed because so many people had chosen not to grow in life, not to transform into something greater. And I want to say to myself and all of us here this morning, let's be a congregation that doesn't get stuck. Whether we're 12 or we're 92, let's say yes to the process of discipleship. Yes to the process of transformation. Yes to what Jesus commanded. Go and make disciples. Amen?